This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby is taking some time off. She will be back on Monday. Happy birthday, Libby. (laughs) Yes, it is her birthday. Well, Mayor John Tory seems to be fed up with responding to concerns and questions about his new strong mayor powers granted by the Ford PCs at Queen's Park. Ahead of this week's city council meetings yesterday, Tory insisted to reporters that nobody talks with him about this new law, Bill 39. He said they talk with him about housing, they talk about community safety, but nobody talks about strong mayor powers. And now, it's time to tune into the town. We will start there with our tune into the town panel. David Crombie is a former mayor of Toronto. Karen Stintz is CEO at Variety Village. And Lauren O'Neill is in studio with me. She is the senior news editor at Blog TO. Welcome to you all. Thank you. David Crombie and Karen Stintz on the phone. David, and I'm saying this respectfully, Mayor Tory was sounding a lot like the late former Mayor Mel Lastman there. (laughs) Nobody is talking to him about (laughs) Bill 39. (laughs) But yeah, I I guess we'll just have to shout a little louder. Yeah. Uh, I hope we're going to be talking about the housing stuff that was done at the council the other day because I think Mayor Tory and the council need to be graduated. They're moving at great speed. Um, but on the question of whether or not uh, the, the, the people are talking about the uh, rule by minority, um, I, I think the mayor might want to listen a little harder. Uh, certainly, he'll try and hear. He should try and hear the voices that understand that democracy works best when you respect the majority rule. Well, later in the day, to your point, David, some Toronto residents took to social media to say they do care that the mayor is getting minority rule powers. And back in November, Karen, 6,000 Torontonians signed petitions uh, in opposition to the new powers. So what do you think is Tory's strategy in saying nobody cares about Bill 39? Yeah, to be honest with you, I think he might need a new strategy. (laughs) Um, because on the one hand, he says nobody cares about his minority rule that he asked for, which nobody knew he asked the province for when he was during the re-election campaign. And yet he justifies it by saying everyone's talking about housing. But the reason he gave to going to the province was that he couldn't get suburban councillors on board for his housing plan. So if everyone's talking about housing, why did he need the extra powers? Mm -hmm. It's a disconnect for me. And then, you know, at the highest level, it's just, you know, it's, it's from just to observe the, this council that is now the most diverse council that the city's ever had to be at the same time so disempowered when it comes to such an important issue for me is discouraging. And we will talk all about uh, the housing action plan that uh, moved forward yesterday during the council meeting. But I want to make sure that you know that the phone lines are open if you would like to call in, if you're a City of Toronto resident. Uh, Do you care that the mayor has these special powers? And... uh, 
how important do you think it will become during this session of council? Numbers to call, 416-360-0740 or 1-866-744-740. Lauren O'Neill, your thoughts about these special powers? You know, I think the mayor has been doing this job for a long time, enough that he's kind of become a professional at constructing narratives. And that's kind of what he's trying to do. It's almost like putting his ears over his hands like, la, 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 nobody cares, nobody cares. And if he keeps saying that and he keeps declining questions on the record about this, about Bill 39, then, I mean, it stands to reason that he would hope it kind of just goes away. I do think that a lot of people care, but I mean, 6,000 people signing a petition is still just a drop in the bucket of the entire population of Toronto. I don't think that the average person really understands what's going on, but I don't think that it's accurate for him to say, oh, nobody cares about this. Like, it is a pretty big deal. Mm -hmm. David, uh, be careful what you wish for, right? Because every indication is that John Tory went to Doug Ford about this before the election. Well, absolutely. The the idea that somehow... This was initially understood as the province simply inventing it on its own and they're being silent about it. Turns out to be wrong. Uh, The mayor actually uh, asked for it, I gather. Uh, But what's really important to remember about this is that all of this is done, including many other bad things, done in the name of having more housing. And everybody understands we need more housing. But the vote today uh, or yesterday on city council showed you didn't need any special powers to get to carry the council right so it gives a lie to the whole argument and and then this whole second part of his news conference yesterday karen and, and you'll be able to speak to this with your relatively recent experience on toronto city council uh, mayor tory said that a lot of councillors would be engaging in political theater uh, he didn't say specifically around bill 39 but i that's what he meant um what what do you make of that? I mean, is is it political theater or these councillors who stand up and speak out against the special powers? Are they really communicating their concerns and their constituents' concerns? Yeah, I, I don't think this is political theater at all. You know, these powers will reside long after John Tory is mayor. And that is a concern. Uh, certainly, you know, and I, I think, you know, Lauren mentioned that most people, you know, don't really understand. You know, I think they do understand that minority rule is not the right way to go, I think they don't yet understand what this might mean for them. Mm-hmm. And the reality is we don't know, but we certainly know that, that there is the potential for abuse in all kinds of ways when power is consolidated amongst a few. That is without question. So for those councillors that stand up and ask questions and or have concerns about the fact that a small group of councillors could actually take over the council agenda under the name of a provincial initiative... That is a concern that needs to be discussed, and it's legitimate and real. Right. Uh, Lauren, it's not really fair to those councillors who might disagree with Mayor Tory uh, by yeah. basically inferring that they're drama queens. I, I mean, it's not fair in any sense. It's not fair to their constituents of those councillors either. It's... Um, I think we're not talking here about a bill on whether or not to let outdoor cats roam free. Like, this is the basic democratic process, majority rules. And... I think that it's concerning that, I mean, I don't think it's political theater at all. I think they're raising some legitimate concerns. Um, at council yesterday, they were talking about kind of what would happen if they need to go forward with uh, legal proceedings against Tory, like if the city councillors and Tory come to have to litigate. And the city solicitor, Wendy Wahlberg, was like, 
basically, I don't know. And she's, she's, we'll cross that bridge when we get right. there. Like, there's nothing right. in place for these kind of things. Like, that's, that's very concerning. And I think that counselors have every right to ask questions about what seems like a little bit of a flimsy. I mean, we don't even really know necessarily specifically what the provincial priorities are in full. So, not theater. <laughs> Let's go to our Zoomer Radio listeners, our Fight Back listeners, Toronto residents uh, in all cases here. Daryl in Toronto, what do you think about the strong mayor powers and and John Tory basically downplaying them? I think Mayor Tory needs to understand that a lot of people are concerned about it. I mean, I, I'll, I'll be talking about it. I think it's really absolutely wrong. Part of it is there not a section of it that says as long as it agrees with the province yes. and their agenda? So this is just another way for Doug Ford to mess with Toronto, to, to manipulate Tory so that he can deflect. You know, when Tory's doing something that he wants done with the strong mayor powers, it's on Tory. When it's not what Doug Ford wants, he can squash it. And I also think uh, Mayor Tory needs to understand the president. I mean, what if a Rob Ford or a Doug Ford became mayor of this city? Tory may think that, well, I'm a responsible person and I won't abuse it. But the point is, there's people down the road and anything he does with this power now sets a precedent. So basically, I think he should use his one-third majority to vote that this power should never be used. Yeah, okay. Uh, thank you, Daryl. Thanks. Uh, okay. thought, thoughtful response there. Uh, David Crombie, what about that? That Toronto's priorities are effectively now uh, the provincial Tories' priorities. Well, certainly the way in which uh, the, the mayor has handled this issue would lead you to believe that somehow he is simply an agent for the province. Um, and, and indeed, there are people have been saying that. Uh, I, I think the council is better than that, though. I think that the, if that becomes the case, or it, it, it looms to be the case, that you're going to find that a majority of council will not stand for it. John in Toronto, what do you think about the strong mayor powers, which have well, yet to be invoked? But if they can't stand for it or won't stand for it, what can they do about it when their powers have already been taken away and snatched away from them? I don't think the answer is, I don't think the answer is nothing much at all. Not big nothing burger is what they can do about it. I don't know even why he's doing this. I, I don't know if he was acting a certain way. I did say acting for a couple of years to gain people's trust. But then maybe he wants to go back to what he was doing before. Maybe there's an ulterior motive. Also... Uh, we can't trust there being a precedent because if the next guy, I'm not saying that I trust John Tory, I mean, he's a cool-looking guy and all that stuff, but um, I was hoping for Faith Goldie to win, but if the next person has uh, evil intentions, they, it'll be like dictatorship all over again. Yeah, no, uh, I, don't I, trust that. I take your point. Thank you, John. Thanks for calling. Uh, mm-hmm. Karen, um, it's it's true that John Tory regards himself as a diplomat. He doesn't like to engage in drama, um, which is very true. Uh, and he says he wants to collaborate with all of the city councillors. So it really begs the question as to why he would want to use these powers or initiate them to begin with. It does beg the question. And, you know, again, it was one thing when we thought that, you know, Doug Ford was just mucking about um, in giving council more powers, but it's a whole other discussion that Tory went to Doug Ford and asked for this provision. And, you know, he's, you know, on his third term as mayor, he's, you, you know, you rely on that experience for the mayor to figure out how to work with his colleagues, especially his new colleagues. You don't expect them to be lazy and just say, well, I only need eight votes. And, 
you know, and again, it's, this isn't about Tory. And, and Tory's making the mistake into thinking it is about him. It has nothing to do with him. It's about how this city should be run. And it should not be run with a minority rule, depending on the whims of the province. That is not how the city will become successful and thrive. And Tory makes the mistake in thinking this is about him. And if you take it to uh, an even greater extreme, Lauren, you could make the argument that these strong mayor powers, I mean, they are in opposition to democracy as we know it. Yeah, and I think that's a lot of the criticism that I'm seeing, not only from people here in Toronto, but there are politicians and officials in other parts of the province that have spoken out against this, um, are encouraging uh, the bill not to go through. Um because of what it inherently means, it sets a precedent. Uh, so is this something that the province can just do and give strong mayor powers to every mayor that they want? Like, they're not yet, but if Tory has the power to pass with a minority vote, I mean, other it stands to reason that other politicians will be, could be given the same power. It just sets a precedent, and it's it's concerning. Yeah, I think we all believe in the value of democracy and in every vote matters. And, and in this case, it's saying the exact opposite. Every vote does not matter. Well, if right. The province doesn't want it to. Like, What's the point of having a city council right, if exactly. you've got a strong mayor? Let's go to Kate in Toronto. Uh, Kate, what are your thoughts? Well, I think Doug Ford has a strategy. He knows that in four years, Tory will step down and he will be, and Doug Ford will probably, I'm hoping he will be trounced in the provincial election. So I think his strategy is that either he will run for mayor or his nephew will run for mayor, and then they can do what they want in the city. He will be a dictator. That's my opinion. Thank you. Okay, thanks, Kate. Let's go to Gerald in Scarborough. Gerald, uh, the strong mayor powers, should we be concerned? Uh, I believe we should, because if we look at the definition of democracy, it's um, from the Greek uh, demos and kratos. Demos being people and Kratos meaning power. So basically, it should be governing depending on the will of the people. But when you get authoritarian people um, or authoritarian ideas in place where I am the only one that has the right decision, like, well, we can look at Mr. Putin like that. We can look at Mr. Ford with the green belt. We can look at a lot of the erosions of our democratic uh, society in Canada. Um, the only way checks and balances are, are, are able to help us is if we have people being able to speak, um, if we do have opposition. Um, unfortunately, in this time, we have Ontario, which uh, is ruled by a person who who won 42% of the per uh, of of the popular vote and yet he has 67% of the seats so he has an authoritarian in his mind mandate to do whatever he wants and in this case this is going towards our cities as well. Gerald, so thank you. Thanks. I'm going to leave it there for you. Uh, so, David Crombie, just to bring it full circle on this topic, clearly people do care, uh, even though John Tory says that nobody is talking to him about Bill 39. Absolutely. People do care. They don't have to know all the ramifications and the processes and procedures of, of democracy, but they understand in their bones that you don't have democracy if you don't have majority rule. The sad part of this thing, to me, uh, is that the mayor still doesn't get it. 
it, 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 I, I thought that he would say, yeah, that's right. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to use it, etc. But he keeps on doubling down on it mm. to the extent that he says that people don't care about democracy in Toronto. That's an awful thing for the mayor to say. It's our tune into the town panel. David Crombie, former mayor of Toronto, Karen Stint, CEO of Variety Village, Lauren O'Neill, senior news editor of Blog TO, and Jane For Libby. Let's talk about Mayor Tory's 2023 housing action plan, which, in an overwhelming vote in favor, is going to city staff who will prepare a report to bring to city council by March. Karen, explain that process for us. Yeah, well, there's, you know, it's a great sweeping um, visionary document around how housing is going to get built. But but the reality is, you know, having staff report back on that in March is probably unrealistic because um, in addition to trying to figure out what this all means, they're also dealing with um, 150 requests for land conversions from employment to mixed use. And they have other things that they're managing, and they actually have development applications that are already in the pipeline. And so it's great to say that it'll come back by March. It will not come back by March. And the reality is there's a lot of development permissions that exist today, and we're seeing already that the housing starts have slowed down uh, purely as a function of interest rates. And city council can approve all the planning applications that they want. It doesn't mean that housing is going to get built. And so it's, it's great. Congratulations. But let's, this is not... This is just the very beginning. This is not going to result in more housing immediately. Lauren, what do you make of this plan to build 285,000 homes over 10 years? Well, like Karen said, it's a great plan, but I'm not super confident that it will be implemented in any sort of reasonable time frame. Um, I, I see this with a lot of... Uh, these big proposals go forward and then they have to send it to city staff to make a proposal which will come back and then they'll vote on that and then maybe they'll vote to make another kind of recommendation and it just seems to go on and on and on. Uh, I really do think that people are responding well to the contents of the housing plan. You know, letting um, multi-story buildings exist in neighborhoods where that's not currently allowed. Uh, legalizing rooming houses. Um, I believe that some 12 people died in fires or 14 in rooming houses in the last, I, I forget what time period, but only two died in legal ones. It's the illegal rooming houses. They don't, they don't have to be up to fire codes. They don't have to abide by these rules and people are literally dying. So if even just that part of the plan was pushed through, that could literally save lives. I, I think it's great, but it's just a slow process. I don't think it's going to immediately get us the housing we need. Well, and on that note, uh, David, it was decided yesterday that rooming houses will be legal everywhere in Toronto in little over uh, a year. So how does that play out when the action plan is still being considered by staff? Well, the, the, the most important thing to understand about it, first of all, I think, is it is well-intentioned and, 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 it's, and it's a broad scope to it. Um, and, and so at least we should uh, give good marks for that. Secondly, it's worth remembering that the staff have to come back with a roadmap to how you implement it. And as anybody knows, either been involved with city council or how the system works, it is actually the implementations which have to keep their eyes on. And so therefore, it's worth, worth all of us keeping our eyes on the report when it comes forward. And then thirdly, uh, here's the part that I think is important to understand. This is a housing, uh, uh, a well-intentioned housing bill that says we'd like to help out those who are uh, least 
uh, living in, in the least circumstances mm-hmm. in our city. That's worthy. That's a worthy objective. So I hope they can do it. But I, I, but we really need to keep our eye on the on the details. That's what will tell whether or not what they're saying. Uh, will actually happen. So, Karen, legal rooming houses uh, where, you know, there are all kinds of precautions in place so you don't have fires and that kind of thing, uh, everywhere in the city, that seems to be seen as a good idea. Yeah, you know, and I don't I don't want to be the negative voice here, but, you know, that there's a lot of implications there that I think that um, we just don't want to rush to that position. Right. And, you know, it could really, you know, it could be the death of neighborhoods. And I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to overstate it, but, you know, when blocks and blocks and blocks of neighborhoods suddenly be turned into rooming houses, um, especially for, uh, you know, people that maybe have over-leveraged and they, they, they can't afford to live there without, you know, two more or three more people living in the house with them. And then all of a sudden, you know, the whole character of your neighborhood has changed. And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to advocate that we shouldn't be building solutions for those that are on the margins and like that have lower incomes, we absolutely should. But to just make a blanket statement that rooming houses are suddenly legalized across the entire city, there right? Are challenges there that that I think we need to pay attention to. And so the process, I mean, in little over a year, that they will be legal everywhere. Uh, what is your impression of whether there will be any kind of public input into this decision? There's no public input into this decision at all. And, and I know, you know, Lauren has high hopes that we will save lives by making, that, you know, re- legalizing rooming houses will make it safer. If we do this in a year, the exact opposite will occur. David, would you like to add to that? Yeah, sure. I, I think I can. I, it, it, it is important at least that there be some attempt made to do what can be done, can be done for the least fortunate amongst us. That's why I think I I mentioned earlier, keep your eye on the report from staff, because staff will find out other, get other opinions in other places, and they have to come back with something. That's why I say, keep your eye on the detail. We'll see how far along the road we can do in order to implement what is a what is Karen says, is a sweeping statement. And as a final thought before we change topics, Lauren, uh, hearing what Karen has to say and David has to say, um, what in, in terms of your reaction to what they're saying about going forward with these rooming houses? Yeah, I certainly agree that there need to be precautions in place, but I do also believe that multi-tenant housing is going to help, uh, you know, say, open up a lot of spaces for people to live who might not otherwise be able to afford places to live. Um, I'm not saying they just go willy-nilly and let every kind of rooming house pop up everywhere, but density is often thought of as one of the solutions to this kind of underhousing. If we can put more people living within the same places in neighborhoods, yeah, the character of the neighborhood might change. There'll be more people, but I mean, that's what a city is. It changes all the time. And I mean, if I wanted to not have to deal with anyone in any multi-tenant housing, I would move to like London or something. I don't know. <laughs> right. Well, so, but how we get there, as David exactly. says, how we get there, right? So we will continue to watch this story unfold. And I have a few more minutes uh, left with our tune into the town panel. Let's talk about uh, the new Toronto vacancy tax. And those of us who own property in the city did receive receive a notice, a yellow notice in the mail, um, 
about the vacancy tax. And uh, Karen, I don't know, I got mine yesterday. Uh, what did you make of these threatening a $250 fine if you don't declare your home as lived in by February 2nd? Well, you know, it's become the talk of the dog park. I'm not, <laughs> you know when the dog park's talking that there's an issue about it. Right. Um, <laughs> so, but, I, you know, I did, I did my, my civic duty and I went onto the website. It is, up, it is up and running and I put in all my information and I declared that I was the homeowner here and lived here. Um, but it, it doesn't, it's not evident to me that even if you had a vacant home, as long as you filled out the website, you're compliant. And so, I mean, you're still relying on people to be truthful. And it doesn't, it doesn't, I don't know how they're going to catch people who have multiple homes that really are using them for Airbnbs or whatever they're using them for to, to actually state that, no, it's not their primary residence. Well, that is an excellent point. Libby did a whole segment on uh, this vacancy tax yesterday. Uh, the city staffers who've developed it think that uh, $55 million to $66 million will be brought in with this vacancy tax. To Karen's point, David, um, how viable is that? Well, I, 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 uh, as, as they say in some parts of the world, I, I had me dudes. <laughs> I, 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 I just, I, I don't. I think I'm fairly skeptical about it, as I think I found in, in, in Karen's voice as well. I mean, I, I just I don't see it. Maybe they know what they're talking about, but uh, but I, I I have my doubts. Final comments from you, Lauren. Oh, um, I think it's a great idea in theory, but I definitely agree with the other two panelists. Uh, it's going to be difficult to get everyone to pay. I think they're going to probably make more money through all of these $250 fines that people <laughs> forget to send in by February than they will with millionaires <laughs> owning multiple properties, you know, admitting that they own them and sending in, you know, $10,000 on their $1 million house. Uh, yeah. Good point. Good point. <laughs> okay, we will leave it there for this week. Uh, tune into the town panel. Thank you all for your your time. Thank you. Thanks, Jane. Lauren O'Neill is Senior News Editor at Blog TO. Karen Stintz is CEO of Variety Village. And David Crombie is a former mayor of Toronto. Jane for Libby. And in the second half of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio, we will get the latest on how the weather, which so far appears to be all rain here in Liberty Village, is affecting the highways from OPP Sergeant Kerry Schmidt. And up next, why doctors are not receiving results of pap tests for their patients for as long as six months and what's being done about it. That's next. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby will be back on Monday. Well, as we first reported yesterday afternoon, labs across Ontario and other parts of Canada are experiencing a backlog of pap test results. Pap tests can detect precancerous cell changes in the cervix. Both Life Labs and Dynacare, which are large private labs that process millions of tests a year, are acknowledging delays. 
Uh, Life Labs and Dynacarat say the backlog can be traced to staffing shortages and an increase in demand as more people return to doctors for routine appointments and screenings. Life Labs says there has been a global decline in the number of cytotechnologists, the specialists who search for precancerous cellular changes, with only 12 to 14 new cytotechnologists graduating every year in Canada. Michelle Hode is the CEO of the Medical Laboratory Professionals Association of Ontario and says many of the solutions to the problems are years away from having an effect, such as increasing the number of medical lab technologist programs and boosting the numbers of people current programs can accept. Unfortunately, Michelle was unavailable to join us today. Neither was a spokesperson for the health minister, but a statement from the ministry says they are in constant contact with labs and Ontario Health to discuss PAP test turnaround times, and they are monitoring labs' plans to return to normal service levels. Hardly an appropriate response. Joining me to discuss this concerning news, Dr. Yolanda Kirkham. She's an assistant professor at the University of Toronto and obstetrician gynecologist at Unity Health Toronto. Dr. Kirkham, thank you so much for the time. Thank you so much for having me on, uh, Jane. Why are we just finding out about this now? It sounds like the delays, and some of them are substantial, have been going on for a while now. Yeah, so normally uh, pre-pandemic PAPs would take about six weeks to come back. And um, PAP tests are a screening test um, that we recommend. And now, for example, in Ontario, it's every three years that it's recommended. Um, But with everything, there's been a backlog. Healthcare workers have always been run off their feet. Um, But because this pandemic is still going on, um, and plus we have the winter season with other respiratory illnesses like RSV and the flu, um, I think the um, the lack of um, uh, technicians to help with this and people actually taking time off when they're sick, um, all of these good habits we've learned through the pandemic is just causing that backlog. I myself was surprised too the other day with a patient who had had a July pap smear and I didn't get the result till November. And also it wasn't until I um, actually followed up and, and, and marked it as a bit more urgent. Um, so, you know, things are catching up, and like you had mentioned, it does take some time to have new training for staff. Uh, but there are some innovations coming along the way that should help um, alleviate the backlog. Okay, tell us about those. Yeah, so several provinces have changed some of the ways they've, they're doing the HPV uh, screening, including HPV testing. Um, and so different ways to do the test, as well as possibility for self-tests, that is coming down the pipeline. But as you know, with everything, including recommendations and then implementation and execution, that will take some time. Uh, I have also seen some results uh, sometimes that are done uh, more automatically or um, electronically um, for screening. And so that's another way companies are uh, managing that. But there is also a difference between private lab results and hospital results, I have found. so um, there, there is some variability in where you are located as well. 
Okay, so uh, as a woman uh, who would say you had your pap test um, six months ago, which is my case, or it's coming up on six months, I haven't heard from my doctor. Does that mean uh, that, and understanding how busy health care professionals are these days, does that mean that my doctor hasn't received the results or that she has received the results and everything was fine with my test? This is a great question. So... Um, usually if things are fine, a lot of doctors will not be able to call everybody with a normal result. Right. Certain provinces like Ontario send you a letter um, to let you know of your results, or even now there's an initiative to remind people to get their screening. If you are unsure, you can certainly call your doctor's office and check if the result has been received. The other way is um, several companies now have a way for um, users to sign up for their for checking their own health record results. So this is something I would recommend that all um, patients and all people who use labs or hospitals is that if they have the opportunity to set up an account to check their own result, that they do that because then they know for sure the result is in and um, they can review the result as well. And how do you go about doing that, doctor? Um, I, I think, for example, Life Labs has a system for that. I know at the other hospital I work at, Women's College, that they also have, um, you know, when you go see your doctor, the opportunity to sign up for a My Health account and be able to check your own records. So let's talk about a worst-case scenario. Somebody having had, a woman having had her pap test within the last five or six months, has cervical cancer or cancerous cells, um, but the results have not come back. How much has that cancer grown in that time where uh, the results haven't been processed? Yeah. So the good thing about cervical changes is that it is slow. So I hope in our discussion today, um, it can be reassuring uh, for women and people waiting for their pap tests or the results or haven't gotten around to doing them. So we know that cervical cell changes are very slow. And in fact, that's why things um, and, and guidelines have changed over the years, as in when to start them and how often to do them. And these are generally different across the provinces, but for example, in Ontario, we now don't start pap smears until age 25. Mm -hmm. And the recommended screening is every three years. And this is because we know that cervical uh, cell changes are related to HPV, which is the human papillomavirus. And this is an incredible fact. Like, there have been very few cancers where we have found a cause. And so this is really important. And there are actually a lot of ways uh, people can prevent and protect themselves from cervical cancer, which I'm happy to go into later. Mm -hmm. So very slow-growing cell changes. And when you do get an abnormal pap back, one thing I would recommend that people ask the doctor is, you know, what, what is it exactly? Because, for example, there's something called ASCUS, A-S-C-U-S, which is atypical squamous cells of undetermined significance, meaning it may not be anything bad, um, we're not sure, repeat in six months to a year. And so if it's ASCUS, this is really common, sometimes some inflammation can cause it, it doesn't necessarily mean you have a precancer or anything abnormal, but it's really important to ask your doctor um, what that result is, and sometimes it will clear itself up. 
The next level up is a low-grade finding, so low-grade versus high-grade. These are where they are starting to get some cervical cell changes, and then high-grade where there's a higher risk of cervical cancer um, and need for intervention, and then cervical cancer. So all of these are slow-growing. Sometimes when you get a low-grade result, for example, again, the PAP or intervention may be in 6 to 12 months, knowing that a lot of these changes actually regress meaning the body can clear itself of the HPV infection and your, your pap may go back to normal. Ah. So those are great things for people to know. Mm-hmm. And the fact is, like in a co- typical col- colposcopy clinic, um, they see 40 to 50 patients a day, for example. Like many people have cervix cell changes sometimes and, and they do regress. So that is one good thing. The other thing is people should be aware of red flags. Um, that may increase your risk of having a cervical uh, test abnormality or cancer. And these would be things like bleeding between your period, bleeding with or after sex, um, or having other bleeding at random times or with, with touch of the cervix. So the cervix... Can that, is, ha- can that yeah. happen in menopause as well? Any postmenopausal bleeding, which means one year after your last period, should always be investigated. Okay. The most common cause is not cancer. It's usually um, atrophy or dryness from the lack of estrogen hormone from the ovaries, um, but we should always check. Um, oftentimes, it's not from the cervix. It may be from the vagina dryness, but it also could be a uterus polyp or uterus precancers. So that would be done by a biopsy. And I think that's also in, important to distinguish because pap smears are screening, whereas um, procedures like biopsies, those um, require pathology results. And so while they may sometimes deprioritize screening because most people will not have a cancer, biopsies are, are diagnostic for cancers. And so when there's more concern, um, taking uh, an extra bit of tissue actually gets us more results. And, you know, all the labs, of course, are still focusing on that and, can- and cancer, sus- sorry, su- suspicious cancers or um, uh, specimens taken from surgery, though those would generally be prioritized, and that's why PAPs may be delayed a little bit. So it sounds like, uh, based on you helping us put this story in perspective, waiting several months for PAP routine pes- PAP test results may not be alarming. Correct. For the average person with no abnormal bleeding, with a history of normal PAP smears, um, you know, I, I think in terms of for general society, the priority for other specimens um, is important. The other thing is, so the risk for cervical cancer would be smoking, um, not using condoms, not having regular screenings. Um, Those would be uh, things that would increase your risk as well because now that we know that more than 90% of cervical cancers are from this virus, um, that, um, you, you know, and most people are exposed, that there are ways to protect. Yes. Um, so, and, so, run, yeah. so the ways to protect would be the opposite of what you just talked about there. Correct. Not so, smoking, <laughs> using a condom. Yes, and getting regular screens. But the most important thing and the best thing you can do for yourself or someone you love is to get an HPV vaccine. So the human papillomavirus vaccine um, is 
excellent preventing not just cervical cancer, but also um, anal, vaginal, vulva, penis, and throat cancers. Um, because 90% um, of, the, of cervical cancers are from HPV and 60 to 70% cause the vulva, uh, vaginal, penile, and throat cancers. Though those are rare, um, we do know those are also caused by HPV. So you can get an HPV vaccine at any time. I know they offer them to boys and girls uh, around puberty, right, in, yes. in the public schools. Yes, this is really important because, you know, just like education about sexual health. Like this does not promote sexuality. But the importance is, you know, your child in the future will have sex and you expect grandparents, grandchildren, right? right? You know, this, you know, and, and HPV is transmitted um, sexually. Um, and just as it is so easily transmitted by hand as well. So gen, uh, genital warts and cervical cancers are caused by HPV. But hand warts and skin warts, that's also a different strain of the HPV virus. So there are like over 100 strains of HPV and the vaccine, there's a vaccine that covers nine of those strains. And so they don't just cover the cervical cancer, but also for uh, genital warts. And getting kids before they're sexually active is a great way to protect them. And it is a three-course vaccine. So you get the first one and then the next one two months later and the next one six months later. It is an expensive vaccine. And uh, so it is covered in usually grade seven or eight Mm -hmm. in our Canadian schools. So that is a great time to get them vaccinated. Um, But for example, if you didn't get it earlier and you're in university, sometimes your university health care will cover that um, or any extended health uh, benefits that you get from your employer um, will generally cover it too. And this is not just recommended for uh, young people before they're sexually active, but even if someone is already sexually active, they may not be have been exposed to all of the strains, so it's still recommended. And, you know, the monographs recommend to age 45 or so. However, if you have, for example, someone who's newly dating, 45, 50, and you have an opportunity to protect yourself, like, I, I think it's very reasonable to still get that vaccine. Very interesting. Thank you so much uh, for all the information and for joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you for discussing this important topic. Dr. Yolanda Kirkham is assistant professor at the University of Toronto and obstetrician gynecologist at Unity Health Toronto. Jane for Libby and still to come, driving in a winter storm, which so far appears to be all about the rain, at least here in Liberty Village. That's next. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby is off for the rest of this week. Well, we've been bracing for a snowstorm, but so far here in Liberty Village, it's been all rain. Will it transition? And how is the traffic on the highways? OPP Sergeant Carrie Schmidt is joining us to answer those questions. Uh, You've been on the job since early this morning. Uh, Carrie, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. And boy, what a difference uh, just a few minutes of driving had. I was down in Niagara Falls this morning. Uh, it was raining and wet, although the Skyway was uh, completely frozen over a skating rink uh, with uh, the uh, the air that was just freezing on contact. You know, as I drove back through Hamilton, Stony Creek, and Burlington, 
uh, I started seeing a little more freezing type rain. And uh, now uh, up in the uh, Mississauga, Brampton, getting close to Toronto, I'm now in snow and there's accumulation on the road itself. Uh, it is not pretty out here. And, and this is just the beginning. It's going to continue to uh, deteriorate, I think, throughout the afternoon and uh, into the evening and overnight. Well, I did notice that uh, last check on Environment Canada's uh, uh, Toronto forecast that it is now light snow at Pearson Airport. So here in Liberty Village, uh, the transition just hasn't happened yet, but we are still anticipating 5 to 10 centimetres of snow here in the city of Toronto, more elsewhere. Um, What can you advise for us as the afternoon goes on for those people who did physically go to work today and need to get home later? Well, you know what? It was exactly my advice that I was giving earlier this morning. Uh, when we had that rain and it was right around the freezing mark, you don't realize what you're driving in. And it doesn't look slippery because it just looks wet. And now as we start getting snowflakes coming down, now you're getting a little more of those visual cues to remind you that, listen, the roads aren't what they uh, are normally or what you expect them to be. Uh, the salters are, are out there. Uh, again, if you can stay home, Stay home. This is not the time to be out, you know, doing uh, extracurriculars that aren't absolutely necessary. Take it easy. Wait for the salters to uh, treat the roads. Wait for the system to pass, and then uh, head out. And, but that might not be until tomorrow. So, you know, we just we just want drivers to be cognizant of the risks that they're they're putting themselves out when they're on the roads because the conditions are certainly not ideal. And they're getting worse. You know what? These are. This is winter. This is uh, what we deal with all the time. Maybe we should be used to it. People are still going to be out uh, doing what they think is necessary. But if it's not necessary, all you need to do is go to one of these closure reporting centers, and you can see the regret on everyone's face who is this, sitting there with a banged-up car, and uh, they are now making a report for something that probably wasn't necessary. It may not happen, but if it does you're going to wish you were uh, cozied up at home and not out on the roads because right. it really is not pretty out there. What happened earlier today on the Garden City Skyway, Sergeant? Well, that was just the temperature was right at the freezing mark. The rain was coming down, but with the elevated platforms, it was freezing on contact. And, uh, and as that um, water and rain turned to ice, it just made a sheet of ice on the overpasses. Uh, and with we had one crash. It stopped the traffic, and all of a sudden, traffic was, stopped, was, was jammed, and the salters couldn't get through. They couldn't clear the highways. Tow trucks couldn't get to the scene. They had to come back the wrong way. Uh, you know, up on the uh, Garden City Skyway, there's very narrow shoulders. It's hard to get through traffic, even as first responders and emergency responders. So it was uh, really a huge uh, nightmare for people stuck on there for an hour and a half, two hours, I even talked to the uh, the salting uh, crews, and, and they were stranded with the traffic as well with nowhere to go. And uh, tractor trailers just couldn't get traction going up and then going down. They were sliding and ended up jackknifing as they were uh, trying to make it off that bridge. And once that happened, it just blocked the highway, and they needed you know, some uh, pretty good horsepower and uh, tow truck to get them straightened out and back on their way. So what about right now? Do we have any traffic situations? I mean, in addition to the weather, any collisions that are affecting the flow of traffic? 
Well, I don't know of any closures right now. We certainly do have fender benders all over the place. And actually, just uh, about half an hour ago, I saw another uh, three-car crash. People standing outside their vehicles, you know, exchanging information. That is probably the worst thing you can do. You certainly need to stop and and exchange and, and make contact. We don't want you taking off and failing to remain, but get off the roads. You know, just say, meet me at the next exit, and I'll be at the uh, on the shoulder. I'll be at the gas station or at the commuter lot. You just, I just don't want people sitting there on the side of the road with traffic going by on a road that could be very slippery. You know, I always feel that it, it feels more safe driving in snow than driving on ice or when there's freezing rain or ice pellets because there's kind of, like you said, there's no visual cue. Um, are we in that transition time in the GTA for the next hour or so before we go over to complete snow? Uh, well, What uh, do you think? Yeah, 100%, because I was in Burlington, Niagara, it was raining, and then freezing rain i could see uh, the droplets on my windshield kind of hitting and 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 going to a little snowburst now i'm actually in mississauga looking at traffic going uh, going by me i'm stopped here and it is full-on uh, snow coming down right now we're getting snow uh, and ice uh, accumulation accretion onto uh, you know the, some of the bushes and trees and on the sidewalk if you're a pedestrian if you're walking walking to your car or walking down the sidewalk uh, be careful. It is treacherous out there. Make sure every step is a, is a solid one. Make sure you have good footwear if you are a pedestrian. Uh, and again, if you are going to be driving, this is not the day to be doing it. And just look up and look out because that, uh, that forecast is changing and it's not looking pretty for the uh, rest of the afternoon and the evening. And once it gets dark and the temperatures really drop, that's when we're going to start seeing a lot of uh, a lot of ice and a lot of uh, problems on the road. So let's let those uh, plows and salters do their job, free and clear, without that uh, congregation of traffic right. that often slows them down. OPP Sergeant Kerry Schmidt, as always, thank you for your advice and your guidance. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. It is Jane for Libby, and tomorrow Bob Kompsik will be here to host Free for All Friday, so get ready to call in with whatever in the news has you talking. And coming up next after Steve Key's news, the number one's at one with Liz West. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.